We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. My co-host, author of Love Is, Kim Sorrell. Kim, what's going on? How are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. I am really excited about our guest. I'm doing great. Thanks, Neil. Justin Johnson Cortez. Oh, my word. You have done, I don't know how many movies now. You probably know the number. but quite No, a I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a great role in the much-anticipated um, prequel to Walker, Walker Independence. Yes. And uh, that has to be a pretty cool role to play. How did that happen for you? Yeah, well, first of all, it is a very cool role to play, and it's a great world to play in, in uh, the cast and the, the crew and production. Everyone's incredible. But, um, yeah, it, it came my way, like most things do, you know, through an audition. And um, and I, I got the I got the sides for it. And to be honest, and this would probably come up naturally, but or in another way, but I was a little hesitant at first because it's a, it's a period piece and being Native American, I just didn't want that to be the same old story, you know, the same old Indian and in, that they they've shown in the past with Westerns. And I grew up watching lots of Westerns and I tell people this all the time. I, I wanted to be the cowboy because I had all the fun and, and you know, it was, it was always kind of about them. And so I was a little hesitant. I want to make sure that maybe we're going to do something different here and that this character wasn't just going to just kind of be expendable in a way. And um yeah, but after meeting the uh, producers and director, they just, they really eased my mind about that. And I was on board 100%. So let's talk about this, Justin. You know, think about Yellowstone. Do you think Yellowstone's depicting Native Americans in the right way? You know, I think Taylor Sheridan's doing a really good job. He, he's always been great about putting Natives in his, in his stories. And it, it's not necessarily that he's not depicting them in the right way. And, and I would love to work with him in the future. Um, but I think with me in the past watching those other, uh, you know, growing up watching Westerns, it's like yeah. the, the Indians were kind of just, just on the side of it. And, and what I love about Taylor is he's kind of putting them in the mix, you know, he's he getting them out there and, and, and these characters have, have arcs and they're interesting and, and they play vital roles in the story. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to play a vital role in the story. So I think, I think he's doing a great job and people love his shows and, you know, he can't do any wrong over there. Um, I have a friend who's on, on a show. So I think it's, are about to be on one of his shows so i don't even know if i'm allowed to say that yet actually um but uh he's um he's doing great stuff and and you know any any opportunity for diversity to be on the screen and right. to kind of show different culture is always great man so i'm pumped for it and i think it's it's great that people are kind of coming back towards westerns and i, and I feel like taylor is kind of he, he's giving a certain demographic a certain generation these shows and I'm excited about our show because I feel like we might be able to reach a younger audience a bit, you know, the younger Especially adult CW, audience. CW gives yeah, with the CW. And, and we have great fans of the CW. CW is amazing. And, and, and not to say it's only young people because we got people right. all across the board. But I am excited to see maybe the younger generation getting a glimpse into the Westerns with us, you know. Um, Think about another depicting does well, and I'll, I'll pass it back on to Kim, is Outer Range. I don't know if you got the chance to see Outer Range. It's really well done. I don't know if there's going to be a second season or not uh, that was on Amazon. Oh, I hope so. I really, I really liked it. It was a good show, and it, was, it kept me going, and I didn't see the Rotten Tomatoes, the level I thought it should have been, but you never know. The fans always have the next set. All right, Kim. Yeah. Great so, show. Great show. Yeah. So here you get to really tap into your heritage, but you've played other roles where that hasn't been the case. So mm -hmm. what is the difference for you? Like, how does that feel? 
Oh, you know, I, you know, I love playing. Any opportunity to act is is great. You know, anytime you get to do what you what your dream is, it's incredible. So, um, you know, I I think it's I think it's wonderful to be able to play in a culture that is, um, you know, that means something to you. I think that's a great opportunity. And actually, for this, I play Apache, which I'm not Apache. I'm Yaki. Um, but I get to learn Apache for the show. So I'm, I'm kind of getting a glimpse into a culture that isn't my own. And uh, I feel very fortunate that they welcomed me into their into their world a bit. And they gave me that permission to portray this character. Um, I have great people that are doing translations and and uh, that family is incredible. And I, I wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do the show without them. And so the fact that they've kind of given me that blessing to speak their language and, and to portray their heritage is really, really means a lot to me. So I have a big respect and I feel like a big responsibility to be able to do that. Um, and I want to do it well. And, you know, ultimately I love, I would love to just be able to play any role without having to be, you know, fill any box, check any mark, you know, as a diversity cast, you know, I, I want to be able to play any role that you see and maybe not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. No one has to justify why, why I'm that character, I guess, if, if that makes sense, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I do, I, I, there's, there's, a, there's a big responsibility that I feel personally for playing native characters. And I wanna make sure that, you know, I'm gonna do as best I can to do it right. And the producers and, and the team behind Walker Independence, they're really doing their best to make sure we're doing it right as well. So. Yeah, and it's interesting when you talk about that, the, that process, the responsibility now you talk about it a little bit, but how, what other actors have you, do you look up to that have, have playing the, the Native Americans that you look up to as an actor? Yeah, well, you know, and like I said, the ones that I grew up with, they, I feel like, you know, the, there's always been great actors in the past that, that have done it, but, I feel like just coming today, so there's a great show called the uh, Rutherford Falls and uh, uh, Michael Gray eyes is on that show. He's a, he's a great actor. And I feel like um, that show in particular, it's, it's, a, it's a native story, you know, and, and it stars, um, oh, I forget his name. He's a comedian, he's a funny guy, he's a great actor. Uh, he's not native, but it stars him, but it's, it's just such a, uh, the, the culture, if you watch it, you know, there's so much native culture in there. And I really admire that about that show. And, you know, like I said, Michael Gray is a great actor and I love watching his work, uh, whether it's on that or, or, or anything else he's done. I forget the, the name of it. Derek C. in France did a, a mini series with uh, Mark Ruffalo and, and Michael was in that show. And he just does great work all around, you know? So to be able to just see working actors that are native, I just, I'm always just pumped and excited for it. You know, um, even when they're my competition, even when I know that like, you know, Martin Sensmere is going out there and, and he's getting all these great roles, but it's, it's awesome. It's just a victory for everyone, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that's gotta be a good feeling for sure. But you've got this look, this face that you could be anybody and, and play any role. You do such a great job. But I'm uh, curious, like, um, because you're Native American and there's been so much bad that the country has done so many things that are not going well, uh, so many things that could change. How do you see it? Like, what, what would you like to see changed? Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a heavy question. It's a big question. You know, um, yeah, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of history. And, you know, all we can do is move forward and try our best, you know, and I like, I like to see when people are doing that. And I like, I like that 
it seems like a lot a lot more people are taking responsibility for maybe the past and and willing to see change and and that movement started with the native community and it's moving forward and and you know it's just like giving giving ourselves a voice and, and allowing us to be heard and and social media did a good job of you know i'm not a huge social media fan i i'm, I'm just bad at it but it i've seen some of the great things you could do when it comes to getting positive messages out there um so it's just like you know uh, it starts here with the stories being told you know allowing people to tell their stories that that maybe weren't told before so these younger kids could could understand that they have a place and, and that and they have a voice and, and they're seen and it gives them confidence going forward and then they could start to change there you know it starts in the community and it really it really goes out but we need to give people the, the confidence and the courage and kind of like and make them know that they're seen um a big movement right now i don't know if you've heard of mmiw it's uh, about missing and murdered indigenous women and indigenous people all around um but that's a it's, it's like an epidemic you know uh these women are 10 times more likely to be violently assaulted than than non-native women are um i actually just finished shooting a film that revolves around that issue so that's that's something a movement that is really yeah it's called gifts of fear so that will be out hopefully next year and um and yeah it's just you know movements like that are, are trying to make people more aware of what's going on and maybe things that people didn't know was happening and just get allies you know and I, and I think that that that's the thing you saying you're you say you're not very good on social media or however you termed it. The bottom line is that you're taking that responsibility to speak out during the interviews and all that stuff. And that you probably are. You just you don't have the time, the, the shoots, all yeah. those different things. When you have some downtime, you just grab it, jump on certain things and, and provide that. And uh, I'm very impressed by how you're representing your Native Americans, and they have to be very proud. And there should be more actors in that this industry. It's missing, truly. And yeah. I think that you're going to help step that up through these opportunities. Through again the role. So I'm going to pass it back to Kimo. Talk yeah. about the about the show. And I'm ultimately a fan of the first one, Walker Texas Ranger. So I have no idea the nuances between all those. So I'll have a question probably. Mm -hmm. Good, Kim. All right. <laughs> Yeah, so the show is uh, coming when? When when is it released? Uh, October 6th, yeah. So it'll be out October 6th, and uh, I hope I got that right. I think that's right. <laughs> uh, you know, dates get jumbled in your mind, but it'll be out this fall. So this fall, you can check it out, Walker Independence on the CW, and we'll be airing right after the series premiere, third uh, season three premiere of uh, Walker. So it'll be our series premiere, their season three premiere. And, and yeah, so you can check out both. And I know you're a fan of the, the previous one you said, and that's a great yeah. show. Great people behind that show, great cast. Um, yeah, and Walker, you know, Walker Independence, we're, we're, we're just excited to be a part of the family, you know, and, and tell this story, this origin story of the Walkers. And, you know, we have a great set of, uh, you know, we have a great cast. We have a great set of characters to show people. And it's going to be a lot of fun, man. Like this morning, we're out there riding horses. We're, we're training. So we start shooting uh, very soon here. So we're out, we're out riding horses. It's just, you know, doing a period piece could be a lot of fun. And we're, uh, we're definitely enjoying it. So take me back now. Okay, so let's go to the history. You, I'm sure you had to learn about the walker on the CW as well once you got the role, unless you already were watching it. 
go to Walker, Texas Ranger. They had a remake of Walker, Texas Ranger with Walker three years ago. And it's the third season for that. Explain that and what's the difference between Walker and Walker Independence? Because we have so many things to binge now and watch yeah. things. So explain, yeah. Well, the beauty of it being a prequel is um, we're connected to them, but we, we're, we're kind of free to kind of go where we go, you know, and, and I wish I could actually have more answers for you because I don't know yet. I don't know it all. <laughs> I, I know that uh, if you watch the trailer, you could see this very, very beautiful, very strong woman. And she says, I'm Abby Walker. And that's kind of the, the, the taste that people are going to get for now. And as we dig in, then we'll figure out, all right, how does she connect to the Walker family? But ultimately, this is, you know, this is the matriarch. This is the, the beginning of of the Walker legacy. So that's, okay, that's so, kind of the so connection. And Walker, just to try to get the answer to that question, Walker, Texas Ranger is exactly the same Walker, just in a different, different actors, a, a remake of Walker, Texas Rangers Walker. Is that correct? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So, and and now, then now we're going, we're going in the way back. back. And that's yeah. gotta be cool. I mean, and, and that, and bringing oh, back Westerns, there's, they were really smart, the CW. And I'm, Kim, I'm gonna explain that to you as well, is that Westerns has such a huge following. Westerns, there is such a cult for Westerns that are lacking. And now, as you said, bringing the diversity and bringing it in the right way compared to Westerns back in the 50s and 40s and, and 60s to where we are today, that's fantastic for where it's going. But ultimately, there are Western fans everywhere and they got to be excited about this and now bringing a younger generation to Westerns. I was bringing up something in an interview I was doing with another celebrity that's big into metal. And I said, you know, thanks to Stranger Things, now heavy metal's coming back. So you, you yep. find these different trends of young people finding different things. And am I right? Is it, was one of the characters in this new season of Stranger Things is a Native American, right? Am I correct? Uh, yeah. I believe so. I forget, I forget his name. I think he's the pizza, the guy who the drives pizza the pizza guy, truck. The pizza guy, yeah. whoever guy. Man, I'm just a huge stranger. I've got yeah. to find enough time <laughs> to binge everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, where's the time, man? Well, you better make time for Walker Independence. you got to check yeah, it out. Yeah, I am going to make time for that, for sure. <laughs> and we're going to get the last thing. But go ahead, back to you, Kim. Uh, any <laughs> questions you have for Justin? Yeah, yeah. I think it's very exciting. And um, I know so many people that are so into Westerns and watch the old ones. So to see the new ones will be so much better, just so much better. So uh, yeah, so we're, hopefully you're gonna do season after season of this, right? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. So how many years before does it, does it take place? So this takes place back in like the 1870s. So we're going over a hundred years back. You know, we're, we're, going, we're going way back. And, you know, kind of to talk about what you said, how, you know, you get this younger generation. It's because, you know, the people making this show, they grew up watching Westerns. It's, it's a part of them. And, and, you know, you want to make what you love. And so it's really great because that's what happens. You, you fall in love with something, you make it, and you pass it down. You pass it down to your next generation. And the people, you know, the cowboy, the, the Western culture, it's huge. And so it's great to have people that are excited to see this show. And, and I'm excited for them to see what, see what Callian brings, you know. So I play Callian, he's Apache, and he's a Apache scout on the show. And um, he's kind of outside of independence, and he's curious about it. And he has a connection into town through the deputy Augustus. Um, but he's hesitant, you know, because he's kind of torn between two worlds. And so I'm excited for people to see Callian and meet him. 
and uh, see where this character goes, and, and especially for a lot of fun. Like I said, we're going to have a lot of fun, man. It's, there's going to be some action. There's going to be drama. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be a little bit for everybody. I, I, I feel like, you know, you could, you could have uh, grandpa watching the show, but you could also have, you know, your teenage daughter watching the show. Sure. It's going to be for everybody. For sure. So, again, best place we can connect with you, social media and stuff. Where can we go? Best Instagram. It's the only one I got. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not on Twitter or anything else, but Instagram, it's Justin J underscore Cortez, I believe. You just type in Justin Johnson Cortez. It should pop up. Um, yeah, I try I try to stay on it, try to let people know what's going on and, and post some pictures and, and stuff when we're, when we're having some fun, but I'm going to try to keep up with it. But I got some great cast members who are, you know, follow, follow Walker Independent um, on the CW. And they're going to be putting stuff out there, but great cast members here and, and such a great family we got here and they'll be all be posting fun stuff. So I'll be popping up on all theirs as well. You'll be jumping on it more. Trust me. It'll probably it'll happen it. for sure. And all that stuff. And yeah. Hey, you're a busy actor and that's the good thing is to stay busy. And Kim, where can we connect with you? Best place. Yeah. Kim Sorrell. I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell in the world spelled my way. S O R R E L L E, but Kim Sorrell.com. Uh, my latest book, Love Is, is available everywhere, Amazon and everywhere else. Justin, I'd love to send you a copy. And Absolutely, please do. Yeah, well, great, great. Well, I'll get your address and send it over to you. All right, fantastic. And last thing, neilhader.com. Check out the media giant. Uh, you know, again, I'm six foot ten and I'm the giant of media. So check me out. And I appreciate everyone. And it was great connecting with you, Justin. One other thing is my celebrity podcast is number 12, according to Feedspot. So always good to get you out there in different places. And it was a great to talk with you, Justin, and appreciate it. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. My co-host, first of all, Greg Hanna from Toss C3. How are you, Greg? And I know you're excited about our guest, and, and, and it's always fun to chat with you. How are you, Greg? I'm uh, doing fantastic, Neil, and I can't wait to talk to the guest. All right. So I'm excited about our guest today. It's Mark Cole, director, cinematographer. He's going to teach us a lot of things that, hey, I don't really know about it in my follow-up questions, and he's going to talk, promote Quest that's on Disney+. Plus. Mark, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Oh, yeah. No problem. I'm excited. All right, the quest, and we'll go right to it. But let's first go with uh, Greg's first question for Mark. Go ahead. Well, hey, Mark, it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Um, did uh, you always want to be a film director? Well, let, uh, let's clarify. I'm actually the director of photography on this, even oh. though I do I do uh, quite a bit of directing of like commercials and things, and I'm in the Directors Guild of America. But uh, on this particular project, I was the director of photography and the cinematographer. Meaning your career growing up. That's the question. Did you always? Oh, ask? gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, I worked my I worked my way up uh, to uh, directing, but uh, it wasn't like I was. Uh, my goal in life was to be a director. I kind of fell into the 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 film business uh, actually through a music career, and um, you know I started off shooting my own things and editing them, and then uh, I kind it kind of evolved into an overall storytelling kind of thing, which obviously in, includes directing. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the storytelling is in the directing end, but it's also in the, in the editing end as you put the pieces of the puzzle together. But I found that my skills really and uh, my heart really just love being on set, right? So 
And, and with that, uh, you know, came operating the camera and then, uh, you know, creating the image and then uh, overall just working with people and telling stories. So I'm drawn to the overall storytelling, you know, uh, uh, career. I just love, I love all of that together. So yes, directing and then also obviously directing photography is a big part of it. And um, as I get on larger and larger shoots throughout my career, I moved more into the cinematography directing part, which is obviously vital to the, to the storytelling uh, uh, piece. And, uh, but, you know, working closely with directors and understanding blocking and understanding uh, framing and understanding what the image says to the audience and how you compose it. And, um, you know, how you can tell stories without even words uh, by just an image and art direction and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm drawn. Uh, but to answer your question, I wasn't, it wasn't like I got, you know, went through uh, a, a part of my life where I laid in bed and went, I want to direct. It just kind of evolved into that, you know? And, and uh, I think uh, by being on set and on thousands of set over the sets over the years, I started to see all the different departments because there's so many artists on a set, you know? And, but I was still, I kept gravitating towards camera. I just wanted to be around the camera. I wanted to be around, you know, the people in front of the camera, the lighting, uh, uh, all of aspects of the lensing and, the, and that. And obviously that uh, goes hand in hand with directing and director of photography. So, yeah. It's interesting. So, so the mixture between photography and film kind of define that, you know, how you're going to talk about photography versus the camera, the camera of, of, of film. Well, I mean, like uh, someone told me a very long time ago um, that there's two directors on a larger set, right? There's the director that tells the story and that's everybody knows what, you know, uh, that that person does. And then there's the person that directs the photography, right? So we're there when you when you get to a set, you're there to photograph it. You're there to record it, right? And that's when uh, the uh, that's when, you know, I really jump in with that. But so much of it is a very tight collaboration with the storytelling director because the visuals are storytelling, right? So as we know, you know, we've seen uh, lots of movies that have, um, you know, really very little dialogue, but yet the visuals really got to tell the story along with the music and everything. So it's a very collaborative process. And um, I think that is, that's really exciting because that's, that's, you know, when you, especially when you go to different locations and you have different um, uh, scenarios with different lighting and different issues. And, and uh, again, there's an instinctual process to it that I really enjoy, um, you know, photographing things and running the crew and making sure you stay on schedule without losing your creative vision. That's always the challenge. So most of it also, you know, it's an artistry, but it's also, um, you know, like I said before, it's, it's sort of a spiritual instinctual process of, you know, reading kind of where things are going to go in the scene and, and how how the actors are going to react and the blocking and, and kind of going through all of that with them at the same time being somewhat invisible, right? Because we don't want to really draw attention to the camera. We really don't want to distract the actors. We want to be, uh, you know, very mindful of that sort of thing. And, and again, creating, staying with the overall creative look and also staying on schedule and battling, you know, weather, battling sound problems, battling all kinds of problems. And uh, it's a very exciting and stressful position, but that's really what I love about it because it's always different. It's never the same, right? 
it seems so different. There's more questions to think about and all these things because we don't see those examples. The final piece of the puzzle, Greg, I'll go back to Greg on this, is when we finally see that movie or we see that TV show or we see that streaming or commercial, we don't know all that goes into it, Greg. And we're learning this from Mark, aren't we, Greg? No, man, it's amazing. So, you know, Mark, talking about the storytelling, what was it like working with a creative genius like Francis Ford Coppola? Uh, well, I worked, I worked mostly, he produced, um, he produced a movie I did, I, I shot for his uh, nephew, Christopher Coppola. So I didn't work directly with his creative vision. I worked with the lineage of him, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, that was fun. We, we actually shot at his, uh, vineyard and Martin Sheen was, it was a Western called the gunfighter and, uh, Martin Sheen and Bobby Carradine were in it. So I got to work with some pros on that. We actually, it was an old it, I was matching film that uh, they had shot on a, on an old um, format called Technoscope, and actually Francis owned the cameras, so we used all of his own equipment, and we shot right there on his vineyard up in Napa. Yeah, that was that was a fun job. Yeah. So, what about for mentors? What who would you say you know worked with that was like, wow, this really was a big influence on me in my career? Um, well, there's several. I mean, you know. Uh, well, just, some of the people I worked with on the quest are, you know, uh, you know, extremely intelligent, creative people that have been around a very long time. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have actually seen the show, but it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a hybrid. So the producers of the amazing race, um, you know, Mark Ordesky and Jane Fleming. And then we had, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, that was the, the, the Lord of the Rings and then the amazing race Bertram and company. Uh, so th those are extremely, you know, high end creative people. And I got to work under their umbrella into this hybrid of a scripted uh, reality competition show. So, um, you know, they're very different in their genres and in, in, in those types of shows, but, you know, we, we have the quest is, you know, a part of a, it looks like a $200 million fantasy movie, right? It's Lord of the Rings, and then it meets the challenge and the um, the obstacles of the Amazing Race with real kids immersed into this world, and we go into sort of a live television kind of thing as as the kids solve challenges and puzzles as wow. they go through uh, the castle and uh, the you know the dark forces that are coming to take over the castle and what have you. So uh, cinematically, it was very challenging, and actually storytelling wise, it was very challenging because. You know, we had, like I said, a movie, right? That we have uh, these characters, kings and princes and all of this. And then we have eight real 13 to 15 year old kids that come in in street clothes and have to immerse themselves into this environment, change into uh, these paladin clothes and then help the characters in the movie, if you will, fight off the dark forces that are trying to take over the kingdom through these, uh, through these puzzles and challenges that are based on the virtues, right? So it's, it's quite a, an interesting project. And we approached it, I approached it very cinematically. And, uh, you know, instead of going into a reality type look when we went to the reality competition, we stayed with our cinematic vibe of, you know, Lord of the Rings. And right. we saw that all the way through. So that's something that I don't think has ever been done. And we, we actually shot a widescreen anamorphic, which I don't think has been done in any no. reality type competition. So it's sort of, 
when you watch the show, it's seamless. It's, it goes right into these live challenges looking like, you know, Lord of the Rings. So I think it's quite, uh, it's quite different. And I think uh, the team we had in place, it was just, it was actually fascinating working with these, all these, you know, the creative people and then in mixing the stories and, and uh, it works very nicely. It's really a, a different piece of uh, cinema for sure. Wow, it, se it seems like a different piece of cinema and it's something, Greg, when you talk about, you know, the discussion as we're talking about The Quest, it's gonna be on Disney Plus. Greg, I, I, when, I, when I heard the name The Quest you, and look at the poster, you wouldn't think it's the real kids. Adding that to the competition makes it something unlike anything else, for sure. Yeah, and you know, when we, when we went into it too, uh, Disney didn't want it to feel like a reality show in any way. So there, therefore there's no, um, there's no interviews, right? There's nobody looking at the camera. There's no um, what we call background packages. Usually in a reality type show, you do background packages on people to establish who they are. You know, this is Timmy from Ohio. He's a math student, you know, whatever. We didn't do any, any, any of that. So we, we instead, you know, had set pieces uh, like we had a fire pit that was uh, just after some of the challenges and the kids would go around the fire pit and, and talk. And we would learn about who they were through these organic conversations, as well as their barracks and the places that they stayed. And uh, we would, you know, we would start to learn about who they are, uh, you know, authentically through them, them chatting with each other. Um, and then, you know, of course it's streaming. So as you watch through and binge watch the episodes, it, eventually all the characters evolve and you can see who they are as a person and we learn more and more about each person and you become very engaged. And actually, the, as, you, as you watch the episodes, they get more, you know, you get more and more drawn into who are these kids and what's driving them and, you know, how are they gonna get through these challenges? So it, it's a different format all the way around. It doesn't, it, we broke the standard uh, network television format of reality type competition format and then obviously added in the scripted element on top of it to create even more drama. So there's a lot of beautiful visual effects in it. And, uh, and on that note, since we had the, the kids and we were doing everything live and organic with them, most of the visual effects were done in camera so that the kids could actually see it. You can't really, it's not really authentic if they're reacting to a green screen, right? So yeah. we didn't do anything like that. You know, we had um, we had an episode where we had these things called wispets flying all through the castle and all the stuff where they were actually drones. So they were act we were actually flying these things around them. So they uh, so it startled them and, and we created those reactions that way. Yeah. That's crazy. How is it for you being involved in the Quest project compared to other projects that you've been involved with in your career? Well, uh, I was just mentioning quite a bit of it, but, um, you know, I... I always enjoy things that are different. Like I don't, most of, the, most of the shows I've shot have been pilots, which I enjoy because you're creating something from the ground up. You're not taking over somebody else's look. You're not coming into, you know, season three or something. And, and like I said, following what's already been established that works, you're starting from the ground up. And when you start anything like a show from the ground up, I don't care what you put on paper, you don't know what it is. You just don't know. It finds itself, right? And that's the exciting part. You know, we, we plan and we plan and we plan, but 
when you go into it and you start to, you know, get on set and work with characters and stuff, it starts to evolve, right? And then you start to see, oh, it's not going the way we thought, but it's going over here, which is even cooler or, or unexpected, or you take a little bit of this and, and you mix it with that and then this works. And, you know, um, so that's exciting to, to, to come at something and, and really develop it. And that's obviously the most difficult part because we learn so much, right? right. You know, we did this once in 2013 and I think it aired in 2014 in, uh, for ABC, which is obviously owned by Disney. And um, it, was a, it was a different show, but we shot it. I mean, it was called The Quest, but it, it was, it, it, it's not formatted quite the same as this one. We learned quite a bit on that. We had 12 adults in that one. And, um, you know, it was just a, a different, uh, it was a different thing. And I think it wasn't quite accepted as well as it is now. Um, because I think now, um, years later, the our viewership is different. You know, we didn't really have, you know, FaceTime and Zoom and where people are immersed in like what we're doing right now. We didn't have this type of technology where people are as familiar with the cameras being around, you know, they accept that, um, you know, one of the, one of the things we were concerned about on the quest, uh, on this one was, you know, are they going to think the kids are actors and they're bad actors? Are they going to know they're real kids? You know, or, you know what I mean? If we don't change the look of it, how's the viewer going to know who's who and whatever. But I think we've evolved since 2014 into something where you know kids accept these sort of things we are immersed in technology you know we're we're not wearing vr headsets and playing video games and we're immersed with people around the world and we're playing you know different things with them so it's more of an accepted observer subjective mix that's uh in film is uh, it seems to work you know our job our job really as filmmakers is to keep you watching right right keep interested well the quest definitely does that because you 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 want to see what is this what's going on and and then that that drives you to keep watching it you know so exactly the drive to keep watching something and when you start thinking about so the quest kind of puts together a bunch of different things what themes do you think that you see in the quest that might be in other shows because you're adding the reality portion of the kids with the quest but in a more of a Harry Potter theme what we kind of themes would you say the quest brings I'm looking just at the poster in general and some of the things you're putting together and the, the effects and everything of this. Yeah. Well, um, it's based somewhat on the virtues, which is good. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, it has wisdom, courage, you know, all these different, the virtues. So I think that's really good. I think, uh, you know, every show has, has a struggle, you know, and, and it has an outcome and has a success or, or what have you, but it's unexpected, the success. But it's, it's a lot, you know, kids work together on this one as a team more than individuals. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of lessons in teamwork. Uh, there's a lot of diversity in it. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that way. It's not like there's no eliminations. So it's team, like I said, it's based on the virtues and team effort. And I think it's a very positive show as well. It's exciting, uh, dramatic, interesting, and yet it has a message of positivity in it. Greg, any other questions for Mark? Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I guess, do you have anything else coming up for you in the future? Um, well, yeah, sure. I always got, you get lots of stuff going on. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a, a scripted movie uh, in the, uh, around before Thanksgiving coming up. 
it's a pretty good size uh, piece. I got a couple of documentaries in the hopper, um, potentially a scripted series uh, in Atlanta uh, next, you know, next year. So yeah, there's lots of things and I fill in the blanks with, um, you know, commercials and branded content type work in music videos and stuff. Yeah, so I stay busy for sure. So you know, you know they stay busy and you know, and it's the, with the process of all these new streaming networks, there's more and more opportunity, isn't there, Mark? And the, yeah, there is, there is. There's also lots more competition. And, uh, you know, as you dilute uh, where we're looking, you know, when we look at the screens, like, where do you look? And there's so many options, it's getting very diluted. You know, the budgets follow that too, right? So mm -hmm. if you have viewership, your budgets go down and down. So I think, um, you know, to stand out and, and, and back to the quest that it's not, you can't be really good. You have to be exceptional, you know, you know what I mean? You really have to stand out on, uh, to show real production value because there's a lot of decent looking things out there. But when you find something really exceptional, that's when you get the audience mm -hmm. now. And because uh, there's so much competition. So that's the challenge is, you know, I've been in this over 30 years and I continue one of the things that I tell people too is to continue to keep your uh, your mind open and always learn because there's always an old school way of reinventing something or there's always something different, but to stay relevant and, and keep your work exceptional, like that, not, you know, not just good, right? Because we can't do that anymore. We gotta be, we gotta really stand out, do something different, yeah. Because people can find people anywhere. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody. People are bored. People get bored so fast, yeah. you know. You gotta hook them, you know, and you gotta like the quest. <laughs> like, like, what is this? Like, you're so, watching it. Exactly. You look at it, and you go, "What? Wait, what's going on? Who are these kids? Like, what?" And then, so that's what that's what hooks you in, and that's why it's different. That's why I really enjoyed it because it had never been done. So yeah. So the social. So like when you talk about that, I look at that in my social media is constantly learning. You constantly have to be looking at what's the newest thing that's happening, but also remember the tradition. Because sometimes the older things still work. It's just all depends on the project and what you're working with. If you constantly are doing the same thing and never changing, Mark, then there's no business for you. But if no. you constantly evolve and change and change with the times, and you know, there's also circuit cyclical things, right? Certain things that weren't going well then, now they're working again. You just never know. Yeah. What yeah. we're looking for, especially themes and all that stuff. Well, where's pe people can check you out? Uh, the Quest is now available on Disney Plus. Is that coming soon? Yep. Yeah. No, it's been on since May, I think, 11th. So, yeah, it's out there. So, yeah. Yeah. Spread the word. And uh, it looks great, too. Disney, uh, you know, they have uh, a really, I don't know exactly the technology they use, but it really holds up the quality. You know, it's, it looks pretty much exactly like the masters that we colored and the music and everything. So they do a great job in the quality and the streaming and all of that. So yeah, look for it. And how about how about also uh, any other, best place people can find info on you? Where can they go? Oh, I'm on Instagram, uh, Mark, uh, Mark, uh, M-A-R-K underscore K-O-H-L. That's my Instagram. You can find me there. Yep. Do you have a That's website too? For yeah, yeah. It's uh, Cole Pictures, K-O-H-L pictures.com. All right. Fantastic. And yeah. what is your goal for your business down the line? Where are you looking, where are you heading next? Like, what do you, for your production company? Where do you well, um, you know, my heart is in storytelling, you know, um, and I, I believe, you know, I, I'm a, when we watch films and television, they influence us, right? 
they, you know, they, they, they really drive uh, some of our thinking. They, they form some of our opinions. So I'm really interested in doing inspirational and positive uh, content. Uh, you know, and the quest was part of that. You know, it's based on the virtues instead of you know fear-based and violence and all this stuff that tends to really affect us, especially in the last few years, and bring a sense of fear and, and all this stuff. I, I really am interested in bringing a lot of inspiration because the world's a beautiful place and there's a lot of people doing beautiful things everywhere. And I think there's a lot of uh, scripted projects that go around that. And I think there's a lot of beautiful documentaries around that. And to bring awareness to a lot of things out there, uh, I'd love to bring my skill set to influencing and creating a lot of hope and, uh, you know, uh, potential, you know, to see uh, for people to inspire them. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Thanks again, Mark. Appreciate you stopping by. Thanks again, Greg. Uh, and take care, guys. Okay. All right. Thanks. You're listening okay. and watching Thanks. the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome my special co-host, Dave Chemetsky. Dave, how are you, man? And I know you're excited about our guest today. Yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm really excited to speak to Mr. Martin and uh, hear about his new book, as well as the other books that he's uh, written. All right. So let's introduce him. Okay, so today's guest is going to be William Martin, who's written a number of top-selling books about historical thrillers, uh, or maybe not. Maybe they're actually true. We'll have to ask him uh, how he's come up with some of the great ideas. How are you doing, Mr. Martin? I am doing very well. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. All right. Okay, let's go to the first question. Okay. Well, to your book, your new book that's coming out, December 1941, is a time that will live in infamy, right? Uh, but the book it actually tells about some of the backstory that might or might not have happened uh, during that time. Would you share with us a little bit about the backstory of the, the book? Well, it's a World War II thriller set uh, in the two weeks after Pearl Harbor. Begins on the day after Pearl Harbor with an FBI raid on a... Um, compound in Southern California that you can still visit. And it's kind of a creepy place uh, where neo-fascists used to, used to drill and hang out down in one of the canyons. And in the book, the FBI sweeps everybody up and takes everybody uh, off to jail, but one guy gets away and he's the one they should have caught because he's the one whose job is to get himself to Washington, D.C. and shoot Franklin Roosevelt on the night he lights the national Christmas tree. Uh, that's, that's a great plot. And that all hit me with like a bolt of lightning in the side of the head one night when I, I was in the movies watching, uh, watching the film Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman as mm -hmm. Churchill. Yep. And Churchill's on the phone to Roosevelt and he's saying, oh, please, can you help us? And Roosevelt is saying, I'm sorry, I really can't help you because American politics ties my hands. And I watched that scene and I watched Churchill slump in despair. And I thought to myself, in a year and a half, those two guys will stand on the south portico of the White House and light the national Christmas tree as an expression of alliance between the United States and Britain. And it will be a totally different world, but what a target they would make. And that was the lightning strike, the idea that these guys could be such an amazing target for just a few minutes 
on the south portico of the White House on Christmas Eve of 1941. You know, it's interesting when you talk about just the, the, the storyline and all that. It's just so creative. But you're, you're a history buff, so that's why you love doing this, right? Because you right. love to make history exciting for people that might not really want to read a history book. But this is where you make it come alive in those stories. Well, history is an adventure, you know, uh, and there's, there's a lot to be learned from history. And I think that when I sit down at this desk, at this computer, in this office of mine, uh, I always think that I am sitting down at a time machine. And where do I want to go? And who do I want to meet when I get there? It's a, it's a great way to conduct my daily business. And I always have characters that I love, characters that I hate, characters that I love to hate. You know, I did a book about Lincoln uh, about 10 years ago, and uh, John Wilkes Booth is in it. If you talk about somebody you want to love to hate, there he is. And um, uh, in this book, I had the opportunity to not only capture this suspenseful plot, but to take you into the mindset of our, well, in my case, my parents, uh, of that generation, right after what at that point was the most extreme shock that had ever been delivered to the American people. And how are they going to react? Uh, and I was able to capture the, the world of uh, America in those two and a half weeks, a world just awakening from the depression, from the excitement of uh, watching the war from a distance and now suddenly having to face it straight on. And uh, it was quite an enjoyable experience for me to get, get myself back there while I sat in this room. Well, that was one of the questions I had. Well, you, when you were just mentioning that there's the people you want to get to meet, Who's some other people in history that you would love to meet? Because you've already written about uh, the American Revolution, or at least one thing about the American Revolution, the Civil War, and now World War II. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to figure that out right now. Who, who would I like to meet next and hang out with next and look, look in the eyes? Because one of the things that I try to do in these books, the Lincoln Letter or a book called Citizen Washington, in which George Washington's whole life is told through the eyes of 12 separate narrators who tell their own story in, in the process of telling the story of Washington's life, or in the case of December 41, FDR, Churchill, Humphrey Bogart makes a little cameo appearance in this book. So does John Wayne briefly at the beginning uh, because the book begins in Los Angeles, but I like to meet human beings or giants who seemed who seemed to be giants today who were human beings as well. One of the great moments for me as a writer was the first scene that I wrote in um, in the Lincoln letter where the main character looks Lincoln in the eye and Lincoln starts telling a joke and all of a sudden you're sitting down with Abraham Lincoln and you're right in his world. And um, uh, showing the humanity behind the greatness is always my, uh, 
my objective. And there's a reason for that. Where we sit in history today, we often find ourselves inclined to say something like, wow, look at the 18th century. There were only about 3 million people on this North American continent at the time. Three, a million, three million white Europeans on the North American continent. And out of that group, we got Adams and Jefferson and Hamilton and this one and that one and all of the other giants. And why can't we get that today? Well, they're out there today, I think. And um, they're within us as well. The, the seeds, the same seeds of greatness that, that germinated in those people can germinate in us as well. And that, that's the big idea that I try to convey in my books. And, uh, and good storytelling of all kinds, particularly good historical fiction, should give readers a cause for hope. Uh, if they could endure what they went through, we can endure whatever lies ahead for us as well. It's so true because uh, if you, history repeats itself. Where do you see history repeating itself today? What's happening in our country? Well, when I wrote this book, one of the things that I, that I talked about was the, uh, um, with a couple of the characters who are members of the first America First movement, uh, I talk about our isolationism, our desire not to be part of the wider world. Uh, and the wider world is coming closer and closer to us. And, you know, finally Pearl Harbor is bombed and uh, we have to confront uh, the military might of fascist Germany on one side and uh, Imperial Japan on the other. And uh, that, that sense of disengagement from the world is something that uh, I think was dangerous then and could be dangerous today. Uh, it's more important for us to be uh, to be citizens of the world, and there are there are other things that parallels we can draw between World War II and and the present. But uh, that's that's one of them that jumps out. And the other thing that jumps out, the big theme of the book, of course, um, is that ordinary Americans find their spine, the steel in their spine when they get wind of the fact that there is this murderous German agent out there somewhere and somebody's got to catch him and the authorities aren't doing a very good job of it. So these fic fictional characters that I have created will find ways, as I like to think Americans always do, to find the solutions to the problems that confront us. Well, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you is in all of your books, it it really is that missing piece that we should pay attention to di different, you know, either the notes of the Constitution uh, or, or the Lincoln letter. Uh, we don't know what was in the letter. And even here, uh, could something of, like that have happened? Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. If, because people have paid attention. I haven't yet read that your, your new book. And. Right. Well, one of the uh, things that I always try to do is present you in one of these novels with a plausible plot, something that could have happened. And in, the, in uh, December 41, I have a German assassin who's going to try to shoot FDR and Churchill on Christmas Eve. 
And the first thing I did after I got that idea in the movies was to go to um, uh, the library and find what turned out to be a very obscure book by a uh, Secret Service agent in 1946 called Riley of the White House. Uh, Riley was Franklin Roosevelt's elbow man. That's what they called him because he was always at FDR's elbow, ready to pick up the president who could not walk, pick up the president and run if he had to, if trouble, if trouble came along. And Riley talks about how concerned they were in the first two weeks of the war with the possibility uh, of a paramilitary German attack, like numerous soldiers who had been infiltrated into the United States attacking the White House, or even perhaps airdropping onto the White House. That was the army that was worried about that. That's why they put machine guns up on the roof of the White House. But Riley and the rest of the Secret Service were concerned with that lone assassin, that guy who has uh, the ability to get close and pull the trigger, the single guy. That was the one they were really worried about. And once I read that, I said, okay, this never happened, uh, but they were all really worried about it. So it's going to make for a very plausible plot. And when you get to that point in the book where that uh, German agent is out there on the South Lawn, or maybe he's out on the ellipse and you hear the, uh, uh, you hear the, Christmas carols playing in the background. And, and I capture the, the, uh, the whole ceremony as accurately as it could have been captured. It's exactly as it unfolded. When you're out there with me at the end of the book, uh, you will be saying to yourself, oh man, I hope he doesn't kill Franklin Roosevelt. We're in big trouble if he does. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, it's a, such such crucial information. Uh, where can we find information on you and purchase your book? Where can we go? Well, you can purchase my book at uh, your favorite bookstore, whether it's Barnes and Noble or your favorite independent, and of course uh, at all of your online sites as well, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you can visit my website, which gives you, in this case, options for the purchase of the book. And also, if you're interested in, in the history that I'm writing about, there is a historical timeline on my website that captures for you many of the big events that were happening in December of 1941, including the lighting of the Christmas tree, which is an amazing piece of YouTube footage with a British newsreel camera right next to Churchill and FDR as they as they interact with one another and give their world famous speeches on that Christmas Eve speeches, of course, that they would never have gotten to give except for my fictional characters stopping that damn Nazi from doing what he's going to do. All right. Fantastic. And Dave, where can people check you out? Uh, people can check me out on davidchemetsky.com and my podcast, Peace, Love, and bring a bat. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks again, William. What great information. I'll tell you, have any of these been considered to be movies yet to put together into movies? Well, they've been, they've been considered and I've had my options and taken a few of these uh, novels pretty far down the road, but none of them have made it to the big screen as yet.
Maybe this one will, or you never know. What what's your next historical thing you're gonna write? You have well, I haven't quite I haven't quite settled on it yet, but you'll be the first to know when I do. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks Good. again. All Thank right. you. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi everyone, and welcome to Rob Roselli. So I'm excited to welcome her. I'm Rob Roselli. Rob, what's going on? How are you? Hey Neil, how you doing? Good, doing good, good, good. What's the latest news? I'm sure it continues to look bad, right? I've been hearing of potential, uh, you know, there could be a civil war happening or there could be a lot of more unrest happening in the next couple of weeks. Is that true? Uh, no, nobody's, it's anybody's guess. I mean, these people are just surmising and, and, and forecasting of what they think is going to happen. But certainly tempers are starting to run short in this country over what's going on. Um, this January 6th committee, the sham, uh, I watched this segment on Fox News the other day about this guy, Ray Epps, who was the leader of the whole thing. Yet some escaped scrutiny, which is very suspicious. So what's happening is obviously, obviously he was an agent provocateur and he was there to rally people and get them into the Capitol. This is all a setup to get Trump. I mean, it's just, there's a, saying out there called Occam's razor and you just take the simplest usually the simplest answer the simplest solution is is the answer and i believe that's the case here uh this guy is obviously a federally backed agent and he's he was involved in getting getting people riled up and getting them into the capital at the same time security was cut down and the national guard troops that trump had uh requested would never were never put on site so the people were able to walk into the Capitol. Um, and of course, the films are missing, all the videos of it, you know, what really went on. I mean, there, there's either testimonies to some people at the Capitol Police opened up their riot lines and were actually holding the doors open for people to go into the Capitol. So this is, this is a quite a, a, the opposite of a riot. I mean, I'm not saying these people are 100% justified and there shouldn't be some penalties, but this is over the top what's going on over around this whole thing. And obviously it's just obvious to look into indict Trump, uh, you know, possibly arrest him. So he can never run for president again. Cause that's the only way they could stop him. That, that and voter fraud, um, you know, with these millions of illegal aliens that Biden's letting in the country, um, you know, it's going to be an obvious push to get them into the voting booth. Uh, you know, of course, you can't check IDs because that's, quote, racist now and all this other nonsense. So, you know, there, there's going to be a, you know, people are anticipating this red wave coming in um, in November, you know, with the Republicans coming in. But I'm not so sure with all the cheating and chicanery that's going to go on with these Democrats and their voting. I'm not sure that that's going to happen, but we'll see. Even if it does, this country's in so much debt and so much trouble. Uh, with this Biden administration, I don't know if we'll make it that far. So you don't think there's going to be midterms or, or I mean, not that by midterms will be too late. And do you think that the Republicans will take over the House and Senate after the after the uh, midterms? Well, it's hard to say, you know, again, with these millions of illegal immigrants being sent all over the country and who knows where in the middle of the night. You know, how many of them are going to be, you know, be allowed to vote, be allowed to cheat? I mean, you know, these Democrats, I mean, they did cheat in the election. This movie out there called 2000 Mules uh, about the election in Florida, the president, the last presidential election that Trump's been complaining about. Um, 
So who knows? I mean, from a political standpoint, it should be a, it should be a wipeout. I mean, our